0: N12 boxing you're welcome on in Ireland's boxing weekly podcast on all things amateur, professional domestic and international <laughs> if you'd like to find a link for all the previous episodes on any platform or if you'd just like to keep an eye on our social media, you'll find all of that and more in today's show notes as our Australian compadres would say down yonder, good eye you're welcome on in mate <laughs> where's that coming from? down on the mate the main man himself, Bobby Main. Shout out to you, my friend, at the top of this show. Hope you're doing well. Mike Altamora as well. little bit of interaction there on Bookface after Tim Zoo's latest win. Trust me, we'll get to that one in a few minutes. How are you doing? How are you keeping? Looking good since this day last week. You've been enjoying a little bit of sun. As always, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be in your ears for this episode. So, if you like to listen when you're out for a walk. If you like to listen when you're sat with the sun coming in the front window into your face, or if you're like Big Gary and you're in the van on the way down the country at some stage, put the earphones in, turn them up. If you feel like getting involved or having something to say on anything that's coming up in it, and any of the other episodes, I keep saying this, jump on the social media, Instagram, anywhere along the line. I'm going to start growing the little bit of interaction here now. And uh, I'm going to find some way of doing it. I will, I'll persuade you, even if it means giving away some prizes, because we've got a few of those ones coming up too. If for some reason you've missed any of the previous ones, or the recent ones, or any of the older ones, whatever it is you're thinking, check the notes below, check the link tree page, you've got everything there from the new YouTube page, wait till you see this. Wait till you see this, the Rolls Royce of YouTube pages, just about ready. You'll check all the old episodes, you can get all the socials and everything else there. With the boxing world on a little bit of a sabbatical, I suppose, for want of a better word, with not a massive amount of happening other than Other than this fella repeating himself over and over and over again. And And more and more and more. Same thing. As funny as it is at times. Just get a little bit tiresome when you start to see a pattern forming. We'll have a look at that in a few minutes. And see what the pattern is. Where it's going. If it's going anywhere. With that in mind. This episode's going to have a little bit of a mixed feel to it. There's going to be a football team, we're going to have some MMA talk, and, of course, we're going to have the general Enzwell boxing talk, which is a little bit of everything all rolled into one, so fear not. No such silence in the land down under. In fact, there was rumblings, there was noises, there was threatens of all sorts of storms. Everything was going to kick off at one point, and in the end, nothing really kicked off. I'm talking, of course, about Tim Zhu versus Michael Zarafa, which was slated to go about today.
1: biggest fight in Australian boxing. I never pulled away from this fight. You want to be on a card like this. You want to be getting paid the money that you get paid to fight Tim Zhu. That's what he's missed out on.
0: 100 years on, from the very first million pound gate at a boxing event.
1: In June of 1913, Carpentier won the European Heavyweight Championship, stopping the British Bombardier Billy Wells in four rounds at Belgium. ...fighting his first bat in America on October 12th, 1920...
0: ...Enswell Boxing is going to mark the occasion, the anniversary... And, ...and highlight the significance of a fight of that magnitude. Jack Dempsey, George Carpentier, 2nd of June in 1921... ...all the way over there in New Jersey. And if that heavyweight title showdown was 100 years ago... ...we've got one in a little under three weeks. Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder... ...we know all that, we know the what, where, when, the who... What we don't know is, where can we watch it? Who's broadcasting it? The original plan this week was one episode. That switched, changed. Now we've got two episodes, two amazing guests. This particular one features one of the very top coaches in the sporting world.
2: You know, you have the ability to create torque with limb lengths and, and different ophthalmology.
0: And I don't just mean combat sport. I don't <laughs> just mean boxing. I don't just mean MMA, NFL across the spectrum, phil derue has worked with dustin poirier for the last number of years he's worked with fighters like colby covington he's worked with amanda Nunes. he's worked with joanna uechek he's working with sully barrera maureen shea the list goes on and on but his focus this weekend of course ufc 264 conor mcgregor versus dustin poirier the rubber match it's
2: from a small town where everybody knows who he is and again essentially you know, Connor is in Ireland what he is in... Louisiana. He's an
0: expert in strength and conditioning. He's an expert in nutrition. He's an entrepreneur. He's a man who is constantly searching to expand his education, his knowledge, his mindset... ...so that he can educate and improve his fighters in turn. For me, this time around, it was a case of... ...just try to steer the conversation and let the man speak. And for everybody and anybody that has a genuine interest in conditioning, in training or the scientific side of the sports business, you might want to scribble a few notes because this man will absolutely blow your mind.
2: I'm not going to go 120%, then it's not worth it.
0: And of course, my other guest, which will follow an episode hot on the heels of this one with all the updated news and information of what's going on, because there's even more breaking news coming out of the boxing world over the last couple of hours. 11-time Irish national champion, European gold medalist, recently agreed personal terms and signed a contract to turn professional with Creensby Promotions and Frank Warren his name is Willow Hayden and as I said he will be following hot on the heels of this episode Friday morning which of course means you're getting two episodes in the one week now who else is doing that for you and on a more solemn and sad note spare a thought and a prayer if that's what you're into for Emma Joyce who is the daughter of two-weight two time Olympian from the Sunnyside Club in Cork kieran joyce and also for Sonia barrett who is the mum of zelpha brown flash barrett and pat barrett of course who is the main man when it comes to black flash promotions and all the fighters under that umbrella so genuinely sorry to hear Sonia passed away suddenly last week which i think i think has resulted in zelpha's rematch with kiko martin has been put back but please spare your thoughts spare your prayers and keep the family and the loved ones in your thoughts I felt awful this morning when I heard about it because I look back over my messages and I was chatting and organising with Pat or trying to last week to see if I could get a chat with him ahead of his fight card that's coming up in Manchester and I never had any inkling I hadn't got a clue. It's episode number 174, boxing, a little bit of a holiday phase, a kind of a transition phase we'll say for some of the companies and promoters and everything else. It's holidays for most people around the country, kids are all off enjoying some of that sunshine, enjoying some of the weather. A little bit dodgy the last couple of days. But, look, nothing really to complain about when you think of where we were this time last year. And the boxing news that is starting to leak out, it's reliable and that you can kind of trust. Mike Coppinger has been breaking news again and breaking balls on Eddie Hearn. Um, It's His story this time is about Josh Warrington, of course, the rematch with Mauricio Lara, which is all but done for September 4th, and Coppinger has it that it is done. And it's at Headingley. And he also announces that uh, Katie Taylor will be the co-main on that card. I must get in touch with Sean. Messaging Josh earlier on in the week, having a little bit of a laugh and a little bit of a dig. He's in good spirits. He seems to be back where he needs to be now, ahead of a long, grueling camp. And uh, no doubt, I have no doubt, he will correct the right, wrong in that one. And he'll go on then, hopefully before the end of the year, for can or can't zoo. As we wait on word on what or where this Fury-Wilder fight is... We also wait on word of Oosik and Josh AJ. It's uh, very peculiar. And as I said, Mr. Hearn would lead you to believe that it's all but done. It's all but signed. It's this. It's that. But it's not signed. It's not signed. It might be pre-agreed, but so was AJ Fury. Um, I'm not 100% sure what to make of it, to be honest with you. I do recall, not that long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, I do remember Rob McCracken very clearly saying that there were three heavyweights, that they don't want anything to do it. Ortiz was one, Wilder was one, and Usyk was the other. And there's a lot of talk about Usyk being too small, about Usyk being for heavyweight. I think people are going to be shocked when they see Usyk and AJ up close. I think they're going to be genuinely shocked. And just remember this episode, and remember I said that. He's not a small man. He's not a small man. There's about seven, I would say six inches of a difference. And no, don't be disgusting. (laughs) I'm not talking about that either. I just, just watch and see. I think you're going to be shocked, and I think it's going to be a very, very dangerous, difficult fight. And I genuinely think Usyk has all the tools to trouble and beat AJ, but we'll see as that comes around, if it comes around, and we can we can get a little bit of digging into it then. No waiting around for Team Ireland. They're on the move. They flew out to Tokyo a couple of I think it was there a week ago. They're landed. They're getting acclimatized, they're training away. Little over two weeks to go till the greatest show on earth kicks off and we will have episodes here looking at all of the athletes, looking at past Olympians, present Olympians, future Olympians, and then some. Never too sure what to make of Eddie Hearn, what to listen to, what not to listen to. He is without doubt a great salesman. He really did revolutionize the freshen up the boxing world, the scene of promotion and everything else when he came in in the first place. What we're seeing over the last while was, I suppose he reached the inside and was at that stage of keeping everybody else out and, and keeping it as a closed shop. His interviews with Coog, hey Coogs, um, were sometimes brilliant, sometimes entertaining, and sometimes just a little bit cheesy, and a little bit. I can't do anything but cringe when I see him in his Dolce and Gabbana or whatever it is, uh, dressing gowns. I think it just, uh, no, no, it's just not, it's, it's not even, it's neither funny nor applicable nor needed. Um, I think it's just trying too hard to be something he's not to try and entertain and please Canelo. I think he's like a little dancing chimp at times and and it's cringy to hear him celebrate the Mexican shows. not cringy, I suppose. Look, of course, he's going to celebrate a, a run of shows in Mexico where Mexican boxers are, are just incredibly talented, incredibly durable, incredibly tough and willing to go to the well where most UK and European and, and Western world fighters will not do. It's a way of life in Mexico and it's it's often for their life at times, they'll fight. So the fact that he's now in bed with Canelo, with the Reynosos and their unearthing Mexican talent, it's a massive, massive Hispanic audience in Mexico and South America and I can get all that. That's not lost on me. It's not lost on me that the biggest upsets over the last 12 months in boxing over this side of the earth were, in fact, inflicted by Mexican fighters. Now, is that a coincidence? Is that a coincidence? I stopped short of asking the episode uh, when it happened, particularly when the Josh Warrington one happened. I was very, very suspicious, and I still am. Don't know what's behind it. I don't know how, but the fact that almost all of them featured on that card, which... Has deemed to be a success in Mexico and groundbreaking. What really was striking, firstly, I guessed that the interview was with Rob Tebbit that it was on Boxing Social. No sign of Coogan, no sign of IFL. It was done remotely over Zoom, which is look, it's the case these days. With him in Mexico and Rob over that side of the world. But what else did I hear? I can't help think that the big players in UK, US boxing are circling the wagons. They're keeping him on the outside right out in the periphery and refusing to make or take fights with anything to do with Eddie or the zone. The simple fact is the zone need a pay-per-view star and they don't have one because Canelo is not aligned with the zone. AJ, what's going to happen with AJ? Where where is he going to go? Is he going to move to the zone? Is he going to stay with Sky? Caleb Plant is rumored to be the next opponent for Canelo. He is the one that holds the last of the middle super middleweight titles. And he's not going to take any shit from Canelo. He's already decided he knows his worth. He knows what he wants. And if he gets it, well then they can negotiate the fight. His manager is Al Heyman. Remember what I was saying about circling the wagons? If they decide they don't want or need or feel like entertaining Eddie Hearn or anybody else, they will not do it. Al Heyman will not bow or bend for anybody. It's a little bit peculiar when he says about Canelo being a fluid sort of a fighter where he doesn't have himself tied or restrained by any companies. Very strange that he says he's no qualms at him going across and fighting on Fox or ESPN and come back then and fighting his own. I can't get my head around that, to be honest with you, because it's not that long ago that Eddie literally terminated a friendship and a relationship and a business relationship with Kell Brook, who you may remember was one of the first three fighters that Eddie Hearn ever signed when he got into matchroom and started to cut his teeth. Now I do get as well it's a little bit of a different scenario because Brooke opted to cut Hearn out and look to negotiate and do all the dealings himself with his dad. Silly move in the end as he went to battle with what Manny considered a pound for pound best in the world without his coach, without his promoter, without his manager and anyone else behind him. What else tweaked my spidey senses? Well Another apparent contradiction. Eddie says that he's actively looking for an opponent for Dillian White. He's trying to get him busy. He wants to get him out in the US preferably. It doesn't really add up. Because when you look around the, the boxing scene. Heavyweights like Tony Yoka, Ortiz. Michael Hunter. And even his matchroom stablemate Philip Filip Hergovic. All of those looking for fights. They haven't fought in a while. They need to get busy. Eddie... Tries to use the IBF as a persuasive factor, the fact that the winner gets a mandatory challenge against AJ. Now, again, it's not that long ago where they're considering, openly considering, binning a belt or getting rid of a belt or generally whatever it takes to benefit and make the best deals for AJ in the long term. So, as I go about my business yesterday with the little earphone in, listening, I'm shouting at this point of the interview, What about Hergovich and White? Get that one on, get that one done. Why not? It makes sense. Very easy. He represents both. He promotes both. Seems to be very straightforward. But there's like another question. Again, what's Dillian going to do? Is he going to stay at Sky? He has a stable of fighters of his own that he likes to manage. He likes to mentor. Is he going to throw away the pay per view fights where he's guaranteed two or three million per fight to face an opponent for the zone or for whoever it is they feel like bringing him to the US for? Well, the opponent that's been mentioned right now for a late August showdown with Dillian, is a guy by the name of Jermaine Franklin. He's, on the face of it, his record looks respectable. He's 20-0, and 0, but he's not boxing since 2019. He's not long over a bad dose of COVID. And he is literally, when you look through the record and you do a little bit of groundwork and a little bit of scratching, it's a padded record. He's He's not ranked by any of the governing bodies inside the top 15. And it's literally just a, a knockover fight for Dillian to introduce him to the US audience. Now, to me, at that stage, at this stage, after all the amazing fights that Dillian has been in, and on all the highs and lows and coming back from and beating Pavetkin, he doesn't need this. He, he he needs a fight. He needs to keep building the momentum. Huey Fury is in the UK. He's not got much going on at the moment. Why, why not get a fight for him somewhere along the we, I I genuinely don't understand what Eddie's plan or or lack of plan is when it comes to particular fighters who he claims repeatedly that he cares about that they're his family and fellas like Luke Campbell, uh, Callum Smith, Liam Smith, Dillian as we say, uh, Billy Joe Saunders, John Ryder. John Ryder's been with him for I don't know how long and I'd be a fool to say that the move to the zone was a bad one or it was a a mistake or it was even a risk but if Eddie has rubbed up the boxing fraternity in the States, which he has. Don't forget. Don't forget when he went to America first, he tried to belittle and make fun of Shelley Finkel. Remember? Shirley Winkle and all of that. Who had the last laugh? Who had the last laugh? And only recently. It was Sher- Shelley Finkel who was basically involved with the negotiating and all the terms of what led to Fury Wilder three. So if it is a lockout... If he is on the outside with a whole pile of money and nobody wants to take it off him, what's going to happen? He's never been in a situation before where he's had to negotiate such a scenario. He's never been, he's always been the big fish in the small pond. And right now he's in an ocean with sharks. I'm not saying he's not going to be able, I'm not saying he's not going to survive, I'm not saying he's not going to find a way. I'm just curious because in the meantime while all that has to be figured out and negotiated and trashed out there's fighters sitting on the sidelines and fighters don't need to be sitting around. One weight division where there's no sitting around going on is the light heavyweight division, particularly on the domestic front in the UK. Incredible names are starting to come to the fore right now in a division where you could very well see an exciting domestic tournament. The emergence of the likes of Spider Richards, the maturing of Hosea Burton and experience and everything else. We've also got Lyndon Arthur, Anthony Yard, and all that goes with that. For me, Callum Johnson tops that pile. He beats any of them on any night. But... He's a little bit older than the rest of them. There's of of course, as well, the much lauded and the much hyped Josh Bowatzi. Now, for me, this fella's got a lot to do. He's got to get some... He's got to start making some waves because he's been minded. He's been cajoled. He's been well, well looked after. And it's time now to step out, step up and start smashing. There are some brilliant fights to be made in this division. And I, and I have no doubt that it'll kick off this weekend on the Frank Warren Show. Lyndon Arthur faces David Farrell. Anthony Yard is due to fight on this card as well. Not too sure who he's facing. His, his opponent, I believe, got injured. It's at the Albert Hall. It'll be interesting. It'll, it's always a good atmosphere there as well. In a very classy touch, Frank Warren has opted to pass the tickets for the frontline workers, for the Chelsea pensioners, and for all of those who helped him out at when, when Covid and when lockdown was at its very worst. It's an incredible gesture. Doesn't have to do it. Don't forget Eddie talked about it for a long time. We've yet to see any of that happen. But he's not shy with his £750 tickets. As 2021 plays out unfolds, falls, on big fights get bigger, the purses and the monies get obscenely bigger. Mind-bending amounts of money filter out from ultimately where two fellas just want to duke it out in the centre of the ring. Preposterous figures that a very small, minute percent of sportsmen or women ever get to see in a, in a, in a lifetime, let alone a career. And even in this era of endless resources, far too many boxers leave the game with little more than they came in with and a whole lot less of their health. It's almost ironic or worse that in a time, an era when we know so much scientifically about fighting and about health, about how to make it safer, how to make it better, coinciding with so much resources, so much money available in the game that Again, it still only applies to such a small few. So taking all that into consideration, it makes it even more fascinating that way back in 1921, Jack Dempsey, George Carpentier, could command and generate such an exorbitant revenue. A hundred years ago this week, that truly historic landmark event, this fight, took place in a purpose-built stadium out in New Jersey, very first million pound revenue. Very first live broadcast on radio. And how fitting it is that something like this should be the one to pave the way for all of these massive fights that have come since.
1: Violent gentlemen. The first million dollar gate in boxing history at Boyle's 30 Acres, Jersey City, New Jersey, July 2nd, 1921. Scheduled for 15 rounds for the heavyweight championship of the world. Champion Jack Dempsey, challenger George Carpentier ripping right hands by carpentier but dempsey is not slow another ripping right hand raising dempsey's chin Dempsey keeps coming on carpentier trying to hold dempsey and finally they're separate carpentier looks weak deed now again almost losing his feet as he threw that right hand punch Dempsey advancing carpentier is in trouble dempsey still belting away to the stomach And down goes Carpentier. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He's up just in time. And Dempsey goes after him, and down he is again. Two, three, four, five, six. He's trying to get up. Eight, nine, ten, and out. And Jack Dempsey remains heavyweight champion of the world.
2: Boiling gentlemen.
0: Fight Associated, Belfast-based brand. Click the shop link in today's show notes and check out their latest ranges, which include Lewis Crocker, Paul Highland Jr., Owen O'Neill. And wait till you hear what's coming next. Whether you're a fighter or a fan, it has to be. Quality, style, value. Highland gentlemen. Act accordingly. So, to give you the lead-up to today's guest, your guest, the internationally renowned, world-renowned, coach phil derue you may remember a few episodes back we welcomed irish mexican former two-weight world champion maureen shayon and had a fascinating conversation with her about her career about her life and about all the things that kind of intertwined the concentric circles and one of those what happened that she mentioned that she happened to mention of course was that she was now working under the guise of coach phil derue she also worked full-time as his um Almost his personal assistant, if you want, for want of a better word. She runs the gym, she runs the schedule, she organizes things like that. So, a little light bulb moment went off there. And I thought, maybe, yeah, down the line. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And um, I just said, you know what? I sent a message earlier in the week. I thought, Connor's fighting Sunday week. Sunday week, I thought. I'll see if maybe the coach will have time. Half expecting him not to have time this week and to say, look, we'll kick it out to later on. And I thought, I'll have time to prepare then so imagine my surprise when maureen replies yeah sure when do you want what time i thought look as i always say to guests i'm more than willing more than conscious and more than aware of the the demands on these guys time so as as always i'll prepare and i'll make sure i'm ready to fit in whatever time suits within an hour came back how about wednesday suit you at such and such a time our time Imagine my surprise then when I look at the calendar and I double check and I realise Connor's fighting this Sunday and she meant actually the next day. <laughs> so to say the least there was a bit of panic and uh, the panic... I don't know, panic, anxiety, worry and above all else I, I really, really wanted to make the most of an opportunity to speak with somebody who is at the pinnacle. He's at the top. Make no mistake about it. All you got to do is Google and you will see. So I can unashamedly and unreservedly admit that I was more nervous for this interview and last time I guess that I was that concerned was when we spoke here, of course, to Jerry Cooney. And the long-term listeners will remember that. And in a similar fashion, I needn't have been worried. A lot of preparation done, a lot of a couple of late nights, a lot of notes. And I think what's come out of it, you're going to hear somebody who is at the... You can see why he's at the top of his game. Despite all the challenges, despite the demands, family life, business life, professional life, you've got a guy who is... He's just fascinating. And what makes him fascinating is his ability to take all that science, all that professional jargon, for want of a better word, translate it, understand it intrinsically, and then reiterate it in a language that fellas like me, you, and any other fighter needs to know in a short space of time so they can absorb it, put it to work. He'll explain the ability of small men to create power. He explains the chin. He explains... Why am I trying to summarize? <laughs> He's going to do it all here right now. Got to say a big heads up, a big props, a big thank you very, very, very much to Maureen Shea for, for organizing this for me. You're the best, Maureen. Thanks a million.
2: The fight's in about two weeks also. and We got a guy that's fighting on Friday, Sullivan Barrera. So, I mean, there's, there's multiple things going on all the time, especially when you're coaching and in running gyms and businesses and things of that nature but yeah um, we're looking forward it's a good job you have the bionic lady beside you as well every step of the way she's a, a special woman in more ways than one and she's sitting right next to and she's she heard every word <laughs> so you just made her ego figure thank but, you for that Be straight with you as well. My
0: podcast and most of what I do is about boxing. I do love, as a casual fan of MMA, a lot of it went back early days to Ken Shamrock and stuff when I would have watched a lot of that. But Conor probably brought a new lease of life here. And there's a lot of people in Ireland who are Conor fans, not so much MMA fans. My fan boy can be parked for a while. It doesn't excuse a fella from being out of a line or whatever else, you know. And I think the way Conor has behaved in defeat We've probably seen a little bit more true to the character than, than what we've seen him in the build up to these things.
2: Yeah, it's a, we've, we've seen it all, man. Um, you know, and he's again, he's is just another fighter at, at the end of the day. He has a lot of eyes on him. So that, that's going to play a big role in how he acts and, and how he reacts. He knows exactly who he is when it comes down to it. And he knows his, his abilities and his ability to you know, dictate a fight based upon what he says throughout the entire lead-up. So, I mean, he has to do that in some ways because that's the facade that he's built up. And that's how he wins fights in a lot of ways too as well. You know, So, I mean, we're, we're definitely, we know exactly what we're getting when we get a Conor McGregor fight. It's not a big deal at this point. And, and Dustin, and for me, watching him and talking with him, uh, I've been with him for eleven 11 camps so far. And this one, I could say that he has been the most calm and just tranquil as far as just not really, you know, feeding into the bull bull crap and making sure that he stays aligned with his goals and what he's focusing on and what his game plan is, as opposed to all the tactics and all the, you know, back and forth on Twitter. So we'll see what happens, though.
0: I think the point that you make about a lot of what happens in the lead up, we saw it with Eddie Alvarez, we saw it with Aldo, we saw it with a lot of people. I think... I remember when the the original fight with Aldo was made, I had no qualms from what I was able to learn and see that Conor was in big trouble. He was in over his head if it had gone ahead when it was planned. There was a long layoff, there was a lot of stuff went on in between, and when it did go ahead, what had happened outside transferred. From listening and watching Dustin as well, first of all, Dustin got a massive amount of love and respect from, from the Irish people here after the fight, because... He's just a stand up fella. He's just a, there's something, there's something beautiful about a fella who doesn't feel the need to perform or be anything different. And, and, and I'm not yeah. just saying that because you're here. Do you think a big part of, of the change is being able to not just not have to deal with it, but almost be able to do it unknown to himself not even recognize what Connor is saying and doing?
2: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been in the game for a long time. I think he's learned a lot from the first time that they fought. We said it before in interviews, but. He's very young then. He had a lot to prove. He had a big chip on his shoulder. He comes from a small town where everybody knows who he is. And again, essentially, you know, Connor is in Ireland, what he is in Louisiana, especially in Lafayette. So, you know, he has a lot of people after him to, you know, to, to showcase what he has and to put their city or, you know, even state on the map. So there was a lot there, but now he, he fights for his family. He fights for a higher purpose as opposed to just showing who he is. I think he, everybody knows who he is at this point. And so he doesn't have a whole lot to prove, but he just wants to be able to have fun in there, do what he loves and make some money doing it, you know, to help feed his family. And When you have that, it's it's, it's a lot less stress on your point that we're trying to make here is at the end of the day, it's going to be a fight between two men and whoever has put in the work and put in diligent work and follows the game plan and affects what they've been working on and that's going to get into people's heads at some points but with Dustin again like I said he's kind of grown out of that so we'll see you know, how it plays out uh, when the cage door closes.
0: You, you mentioned Sully Barrera there as well. Another hugely impressive, hugely respectable character in the boxing world. He's been in at that super middle with many lads. He, he carries a, a, a very special sense of pride about him. You see, when I see him come to the ring, I see him walk. He has that it's almost regal approach to him. A Huge pressure as well of carrying a hugely proud nation. Special character, isn't
2: he? He, he really is, man. Um, he comes in and, and, you know, bless his heart, man, he's... He's older, he's up there in age, but he works with the guys that are way younger than him and he puts in more work sometimes. And, you know, he can still be dominant at the age that he has. And, you know, he's, he's been fighting since probably he was seven, six years old. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of wear and tear there, but the pride that he has in it, not only in his country, but for his family, for his team. Um, just an all around nice guy, honestly. You wouldn't even think he's a fighter. Um, but, you know, the way he carries himself, again, like you said, just a huge amount of pride, you know, and, um, and a lot of times he's just fun to be around, you know what I mean? So it's definitely, definitely when I first got him, um, this was for the Jesse Hart fight and, um, he's working with me and he, he, you know, he doesn't speak a whole lot of English, but he, he, he does his thing. Like we, we definitely converse. And the fun thing about him is that he's always willing to learn and you're looking at a veteran being his coach. Allows me to kind of do what I need to do. And there's no, there's no, um, micromanaging or anything of that sort. So I get full autonomy on what I need to do. And he, you know, takes into it. And, um, and again, like I said, he takes pride in what he, what he does on a daily basis, especially when it comes down to his training people
0: that might not be familiar with coach phil DeRue, i realized yesterday exactly how extensive the amount of learning you seem to be if you don't mind me saying a fellow that's been learning at a rate of knots way before any of us normal fellas would have been is that something that you think stands to you as you go on the early teens had a very set mindset you were focused on your football career and everything else is that standing to you as you go ahead is it something that you had to work at, or do you feel your coping mechanisms were always good
2: no i definitely had to work on it um in the beginning like especially with the amount of like head trauma basically that I've been able to attain for years and years playing American football and then, you know, MMA and a lot of times you would have short-term memory loss and I would have to learn and relearn things over and over again. And even still to this day, I have a huge, a huge whiteboard sitting in, in front of my office. I have a huge whiteboard in my home and I like to see things in grand scale. So I instead of me, I'll have notebooks, but, and, and obviously I have stuff on my laptop, but I need to see things in big, bold letters. And that usually helps me kind of really learn and have it stick. Um, the, the one thing that I would say is that um, I've been in constant, constant pursuit of new information since the time I was 13, 14 years old, um, because of the fact that I'm very passionate about growth and, and the potential to be great. So with that, I'm not only learning things from a physical performance side, but also from a psychological perspective. and. Whatever's going to help me be a better athlete, be a better coach, be a better person, um, I'm going to go ahead and take into that. And whatever that, whatever the aspects of, of my learning is, I'm going to make sure that I have a strategic approach to everything. Whether it be me having to write down notes upon notes, even when I'm reading books, I'm leaving notes for myself. I'm going back to the particular scriptures of what I'm reading, and I'm and I'm re-emphasizing on exactly what that actually means, and I'm dissecting every paragraph every word um, because I need to know, I need not to just know it. I need to have deep knowledge of it. And that way I can go ahead and reiterate that and put it over to people that are trying to learn from me. So it's more of a, if you look at it from an archeotype standpoint, I'm, I'm living in a magician's archetype in a lot of ways, trying to increase my wisdom and have that intuition to learn and to grow and to help other people understand the process. What does it take? Um, to be great. And so, yeah, that's that's primarily an everyday thing because if you look at it, if you come into my office, you'll see a whole bunch of words and, and, um, and different definitions and everything else that I have written down because I need to constantly be, be learning and, and understanding what that actually means.
0: That's, it's both frightening and fascinating at the same time. And do you feel that there's different periods of where you feel that the information just won't go in? Can it improve over time or is it, is it just there now? It's something you have those mechanisms ready.
2: It's definitely gotten better. Um, I would say I was trying to go back to get my PhD and it was really bad. Um, I had to retire. I was probably 26, 25, 26 years. My fight, um, about, I was like 25, 26 years old and I just, things weren't clicking. I was going back. I was, I was going, and taking classes. And, um, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't picking up things the way I usually do. And so for that, I, I went to a neurologist and they they ran some tests and basically said that I had some beta amyloid plaques sitting inside my neurons or in between and it was eating away at some of the neurons, which obviously that's very important to have, right? From, uh, just from the cognition standpoint, right? To learn and to grasp the knowledge. So, uh, that scared me a little bit. And then I, I basically stopped fighting right then and there. It took me about two weeks to really come to the conclusion. But for the most part, I was like, you know, it's probably best if I uh, take a break and, and, you know, do the things that I need to do from a coaching standpoint and from a business standpoint. So I pivoted a little bit there. But and then I started taking a lot of omega-3s and nootropics. Still to this day, I, I'll, I'll take, I'll take uh, a fair dose of it. Uh, but now it's a lot better. Not saying that it's, you know, 100% uh but again it's 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 also has to do with focus it also has to do with you know how how much you're interested in a certain subject if i'm very interested in a subject i'll learn it very quickly because my attention my focus is always there and and that's how i'll know if i really want to go and pursue a certain a certain sh- a subject right if it's something that i really really take to um i'm not going to waste time on things that I, don't interest me anymore you know I'm at that point right now where i'm I'm past that warrior stage and I, i'm I'm looking more towards helping other individuals I'll still have my athletes but there's other things that I'm interested in and with that you know that that leads to me having new growth because I'm able to learn and learn more efficiently because again i'm I like the subject and i'm and I'm interested in it so
0: that was one of the conversations I had with Maureen. At this point in life, you, you start to choose. You go through a phase of having an opinion and wanting to force, not force your opinion, but strengthen your opinion and re- reinforce it all the time. And I think as you get a little bit wiser and a little bit older, you're, you're more choosy at what you have an opinion on, but it doesn't make the fire any less. It just makes it more intense when you need it.
2: Yeah, definitely. definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm able to, to put my all into it, you know, and, and if I'm not going to do that, if I'm not going to go 120%, and it's not worth it, in my opinion. So, I have to I have to love it. I have to be driven to to do what I need to do.
0: Would you say as well from your experience of working with the people on Civvy Street, as we say, or from from the high achieving, the, the very top end athletes? Some fighters, some some sportsmen, can take things up without even they don't need it explained. They just have that natural ability. Yeah. Others, you need to over and over again, and they might be suffering. I guess with the, some of the symptoms you have, where where would you find, or is it is it a cross mix between every everybody?
2: No, I do believe it. It also has to do with their personality type too. as Well, so we and I break down that depending upon their there's a lot of things. There's their temperaments. There's their neurotransmitter dominance. Um, and I can go into detail on that. But primarily, when you're looking at like an A type individual, somebody who's highly dopamine dominant, um, they are focus primarily on the task, have have that little emotion so you don't really have to necessarily break down all the nuanced details of everything they just want to get after it yeah. and so for that you give them one or two cues so that allows them to to do the movement efficiently and then you just let them have have a go at it you know with with more of like an acetylcholine dominant type of individual those are the guys that you know are, are more of uh, analytical so they want to learn you know exactly doing and we're doing it and how that's gonna and how it's gonna correlate over to the to the fight. So reframing is a big key contributor to that. Um having the ability to take a particular exercise and tell them why this is gonna be beneficial for them inside the fight. And and again that that's gonna be you know consistent throughout the entire time of the workout. And that consistent throughout the entire time of the camp. You know, so really depends on their personality. But as far as um, as far as breaking on things and having to, you know, re reframe and re things. Um, a lot of times if you have a guy that's been doing something or a girl that's been doing something uh, over and over again, and maybe the wrong way, it's very hard to get them out of that state of mind. Right. So it's usually the veterans that you have to reiterate their focus and try to have them learn the things. You know, I say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but, you know, I find that for one, at least they're more apt to learning because they know they need something different. The younger guys that have no real understanding of strength and conditioning, um, that can be an issue, you know, because again, they feel like they, one, they know it all, nobody needs to tell them anything. And two, you know, they, they really don't have the the focus at that particular time. You know, a lot of these guys are really young and hungry and they just want to get after it. So you got to kind of bring them back down and try to slow them down a little bit more so that they can learn and so that they can have that efficient understanding and have that unconscious competence per se built in. So when you get them under a bar, or you get them under some weight, you know, they know how to move and, and I'm not saying that we're trying to make them into weightlifters, but they need to be able to move efficiently under load so that that can correlate over into the fight game. Because if not, then we're putting them at risk of injury. So it's, it's really just a, a game of understanding personalities. And then from there, giving them the possible cues so that you don't have to talk so much. You want to eliminate the conversation as much as possible and kind of let them figure it out. But again, as a coach, you have to guide them through that particular exercise or whatever they're doing in order for them to get it, uh, more efficient and more unconsciously.
0: Every fighter is different, as you will know. But a lot of boxers right now are coming out with a mindset that they want to go pro. That the that the amateur game, the Olympic dream, all that kind of stuff is. And it's not just because of COVID. It's it's they're looking at the bright lights. They're seeing everybody sees a Floyd Mayweather. They don't see, they don't see the graph that it takes to get there, and and they don't realize the drop off to get there. Is that the same in America? Is it is the amateur game suffering in that rush to get after it, as you say?
2: Yeah, I see that in all sports, honestly. Yeah. Um. Even look at, like, um, even, like, basketball and and baseball, too, as well. These kids want to go right to the pros because that's where they're making their money. A lot of these kids don't have money. They grow up poor. I've grown up in those situations, so I understand that process. And if I have an opportunity to get my family out of a position to use my skills, then I'm going to do that. It's cool to be an Olympian, and and I understand that. And I know, and we have Olympians here, you know, that, that train with us here, but they're dirt poor. You know, at the end of the day, they can't even, they barely can pay their dues on the training. So, I mean, it's a kind of a, a touchy subject for me because I see a lot of these kids, they have huge potential. Um, do I want to keep them back and hold them back to their, to their ultimate goal? Because that's that at the end of the day, that's where they need to be. There's also a process. If they can't go through that process, if they rush that process, they may falter. So it all depends on the maturity. It all depends on if their readiness in general. So if they're ready to go, why hold back when they can change the lives of, of not only themselves, but the people that they love the most.
0: Even more special when you look at what the likes of Sullivan Barrera is doing, what, what the likes of Muhammad Ali did, people like that who who came from literally nothing. And in a strange sort of a way, it almost afforded them time in the amateurs to learn it so well, to learn it so intricately. The gap between mm-hmm. who they have and don't have is getting wider, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a thought in boxing. S&C at times, some people are for it, all for it. Other people are against it. They believe there should be more boxing movement, boxing training. Can you say what your thoughts on it or what you've, what you've experienced and people, does it take long to, to win people over? Where are the areas that you see benefits a boxer most from a serious S&C program?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of guys that are doing really well putting together scientific protocols based upon individual differences and putting it together. And letting it go into a sports performance realm, and a lot of the times, like you're gonna get pushback from what we call "quote unquote" old school coaches. But yeah. reason why is because those old school coaches never had the opportunity to get with a qualified professional that knows how to put things together and correlate that over into the ring. Whereas now you're getting guys that are smart, but also understand the sport. So with that, they can they can use particular general movement patterns that are gonna strengthen up muscles and, and the joints that cross it. Right. To allow them to be successful inside the ring. Now, we're not just talking about, you know, power and speed and strength. Now Those are obviously byproducts from a physical standpoint. But you're also talking about psychologically, you can enhance a person's performance because they they feel stronger. They feel more. They feel fit. You know, and those numbers can be dated because it's very um it's very quantifiable. When I have a number that goes up each and every week, well, I obviously know that I'm getting stronger because I'm lifting more weight than I did last week. So for that, when the numbers go up, your overall confidence goes up. And if you can put that into a into an understanding of an athlete and a coach too as well to showcase, okay, I have higher force production here in this particular movement, but I'm using the muscles that do the same thing when I throw a punch or when I'm evading a shot or I'm having better conditioning overall, let's say for instance, an overall aerobic capacity. When I have a better ability to take in oxygen and utilize it, Well, then I'll be able to go faster, go harder, go longer because I have more energy output and I'm not expelling as much because I'm more efficient with my breathing and I'm more efficient with my movement. So there's less effort from a muscular standpoint, which allows me to do more things from a skill set perspective. So now as I'm enhancing my qualities as an athlete, right, I'm enhancing the qualities from a physical preparation standpoint. It's going to correlate over into my boxing skill because now I have more tools. To utilize my skill set. So I have stronger legs. I have stronger core muscles. I have a stronger oxygen tank. And what that does is that just helps initiate more responses inside the ring. So if I can build the tank, I'll be able to utilize the car and drive it way more efficiently
0: so it takes you about I would say three minutes to convince somebody two fighters I wanted to mention to you Um two very different style fighters boxers um, are you familiar with um Inoue the Japanese very very small but he has some people would say the death touch he touches a fella and he seems to put him asleep all the time and then we have the alpha male the dominant heavyweight who who has that same gift Deontay Wilder two different styles but can you explain is that ability that power that some people will say they're born with it? Is there an explanation or is every fighter different
2: uh there every fighter is different you know you have the ability to create torque with limb lengths and and different anthropology where basically where they're they're able to produce force from a given position you know a guy like wilder he can hit you with anything and put you to sleep i think that has to do with a lot of mass times acceleration um when you're looking at power from a, just from a physics standpoint right you have you have force and then you have velocity force times velocity equals power so if he can generate a huge amount of force behind mass that he already has, again mass times acceleration, and with that he's able to have a little bit of velocity behind it. Obviously, be fast. He's gonna produce a large amount of power, and if he puts it anywhere on a particular body, right as you've seen, he'll be able to shut the lights off quick. Now, with the lighter guys, um, they're generally relying on precision, um, timing, and they're also relying on their speed. So again, velocity, that's the other side of that force velocity, um, continuum, right? So as far as power goes, you need to have speed. And if he has a huge amount of speed and he puts it in the right places, then he can knock somebody out too, as well. So it really just depends on how you actually go about throwing your your punches. And from there, it's what's built in from, from, um, from a genetic standpoint and also from your training. And a lot of times just, again, like, that's true. A lot of people are gifted with the ability to just shut lights off on anybody. But there's also things that you can improve upon, right? So to say that Deontay Wilder can never get any stronger, can never get any powerful, is that's very bad to say. Like, right? that's not true at all, right? So at the end of the day, can both of those fighters get better? Yes. Um, Were they gifted? Possibly. You know, so, uh, but yeah, there's two sides of the coin. I would say that You definitely need some genetic help for you to be able to utilize the strengths that you've been able to give or be able to work with. But there's always ways to be able to create more power. It doesn't make any, it doesn't, when people say you can't, you can't teach power, you can't create more power, it doesn't make any sense because if you can get a guy to run faster and jump higher, you can get a guy to punch harder.
0: That's amazing, and that was actually one of the points I had just left to, know, to ask you as well about power, because that all misnomer, It can't be taught, it can't be trained, it can't mm. be. So, so that's that's clear. That one. And the last one I'll say to you, because I don't want to keep too much of your time. A mutual friend of myself and Maureen, he's he's a he's a legend, and I don't use that word often in in Irish boxing circles. He's an Olympic silver medalist. He's a former WBC champion. He was <laughs> he was one of the smallest fellas in the house. He's, uh, Wayne McCullough was his name. He he's mm. absolutely adamant that the chin. that 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 his chin and and it was uh it was much renowned he was in with morales he was in with prince nazim he was in with all of them and he was always adamant that it was a mental thing that he trained his mind Mm. he wasn't getting knocked out he wasn't getting (laughs) chinned is that again i know every fighter is different and and it can't be it's it's it fighter specific i guess but is there a lot of it it comes down to training as well and might he have been doing something that he was unaware of or is it again differently for each fighter
2: uh, genetically that that's another thing you know a, a lot of people can take shots a lot of people can take punches and and then also you know he's not getting hit on a constant basis there's a there's there's a huge issue um with fighters getting in wars in the gym you know and not even make it to their prime because they're getting accumulation of head trauma but i think that when it comes down to confidence Um, yeah, you can, you can trick your mind into thinking that, you know, you're, you're unbeatable, but there's going to come a time where you're going to get rocked and it's, it just depends on how you react towards that. I don't, I don't see that being a true, like a true, uh, definition of, of having a strong chin or, or whatever the case, I just think that he's ultimately confident in his approach. Um, but yeah, I don't see it having a scientific reasoning behind him not getting knocked out. You know, anybody can touch anybody and if your your brain rattles against its skull, you're, you're going to go down. You know what I mean? So um, can he strengthen up his his jaw? Can he strengthen up his neck? Absolutely. Probably does. And that's probably why he's so confident. You know, and then on top of that, you know, genetically you can take a shot. So those two things really are what plays a big role in not being knocked out and also obviously having great defense, not not getting hit. You know, as a sport, is is the hit and not the hit. It's the sweet science. It's not, it's not who can punch the hardest and who can take the most shots.
0: The last thing I'll say to you, coach, is, and again, thank you very much uh, for taking time. The weight cut, it's a hot topic with a lot of people. And I listened to yep. Dustin on Joe Rogan a while ago. He, I listened to him twice. He blew my mind. <laughs> the fact that he was cutting so much, I think he said 45 pounds, I think, the first time he fought Connor, which was, it, yeah. you know, and, and I put this in context to people who might only be listening in a short while. People lose a pound in Weight Watchers, and they'll go and celebrate for a night, and they'll have. Like, it's not a mean achievement to lose, but these guys yeah. are doing it then in a in a compacted s- space time. What's, oh, your, yeah. what's your thoughts on weight cut? It, it, it's it's part of the job, isn't it? It, it? it doesn't get any easier either.
2: Yeah, it sucks. It's the worst part of the sport. Um, yeah, I had to cut to one fifty five. I fought at I fought at one fifty five, but I walked around at probably one eighty. So we're <sighs> me and Dustin same size. You know, Dustin will probably walk around 180 182 um, right now you know it's it's down to the wire now he's at 55 so it's not as bad but 45 was just monstrous cuts you know that was that was something that we're talking 20 25 pounds within you know a couple of days even maybe even less and so you know now it's a little bit better but it's still not the greatest and I think that because of such of those, and, and boxing is different. And we just talked about this before we got on the call. But like boxing has multiple weight classes, so there's not a huge cut for a lot of the boxers. With MMA guys, there's a big gap. So, you know, for him to go to 170, he would be undersized 170. He would probably be right there, but it's it's not it's not as as normal as he would be at 155. You know, he's kind of the normal size for those guys. You know, and, and that's an issue. But if, if you had a 165 pound division, then that would be perfect, you know, but you don't. But what I would say is that the weight cutting in general ultimately is going to bring down performance by some percentage, you know, depending on how much they cut, depending on how much they diet, depending on, you know, how much muscle mass they have, um, how much they, they flow throughout the night. And then also the rehydration protocols. Now, luckily he has a guy that's been working with him forever. Um and also was one of my interns uh Eric Pena, who's with him right now um that cooks for him that that has his meals ready and prepared they're at the airbnb so they don't have to worry about the hotel or anything like that. They can cook the meals and that's that's because he's at that level, but some of the guys man when you're you especially boxers and you know up and coming fighters, they don't have the means to do that they don't even have the money to actually hire somebody like that, so they have to do it on their own, and that's an issue because they don't know what they're doing, you know so a lot of times they'll crash diet, and not you know probably not eating any carbs, not taking in any sodium, and that's going to have a negative effect on on everything. That's going to have a negative effect on glycogen storages, that's going to have a negative effect on hormonal balance, um their ability to to lose the water because they're holding on to it because they don't have enough sodium in their body. So that right there is it's a strategic approach to everything. If you don't have the science to back that up, um it's going to be a hard-pressed process and ultimately you're going to your 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 performance will definitely go down. So what we're seeing is like subpar athletes come fight night because they're cutting these massive amounts of weight and they don't know how to rehydrate properly. So when you, when you're able to like bring that down and with MMA, I don't think it's ever going to do that. I mean, you know, boxing, it's better. Um, That's why you, you kind of can see with boxers, you know, it's not, it's not like they're, they're not sucked out a whole lot of times. You watch MMA fighters and some of these guys pass out on the, on the scale. You know, I see a couple of weeks ago pass out, you know, but, it's that's that's the that's like the dark side of, of the fight game you know and that's one thing that you know people don't really care like a lot of fighters man they're not worried about the fight they're worried about the weight cut once they finish the weight cut that's the first fight that they won you know and now they gotta now they gotta worry about fighting in a in a cage or a ring
0: and is there a certain amount of time coaches or a limited amount of time the body can crash that way does it get to a stage where that's it it's not happening anymore or or is it just a case of pushing at each time
2: no, no, I mean, well, as far as each weight cut. For, yeah. For so, year, yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the person. Um, if you're having bad weight cuts, you're limited. I would say, you know, and I'm putting an arbitrary number on it, but I would say five harsh weight cuts will, will kill your career. You know, you're looking at anything higher than that. You know, if you're cutting, and then we're talking about massive cuts. We're talking you know, 20, 30 pounds, maybe even more than that. Sometimes I've seen 35 pound cuts which are crazy, but not uncommon. And if you do that and you do it in, in, in the real hard part in the, the real damage that you're going to occur, that's going to occur is if you do it multiple times throughout the year. So if you do it like, okay, one hard cut throughout the year. And then maybe two, two or three years later, then you have another hard cut. You may be able to get away with it. But if you do multiple hard cuts throughout the year, now you're damaging a lot of things inside the body. Right? So, Really don't know exactly what's going on outside, but if you take some blood work done, you get some blood work done and you check your blood markers and you're also checking out your hormones, you've seen your testosterone drop, you're looking at all these other things that are going wrong with you, your thyroid's messed up, your metabolism is shot, then it's going to be hard for you to even lose body fat now. So now you're carrying around like a spare tire and you're training hard as shit, but you can't bring the weight down. That's because you, you messed up your metabolism. And your thyroid's all out of whack. I've seen guys have hyperthyroidism because of too many weight clubs too, as well, and can't even get weight. So now they're losing weight over and and guys will lose, you know, and, and it's, it, I had a guy that everybody probably knows, I'm not gonna say his name, but you know, everybody knows this individual. He fought for Bellator and he was a, he was a light heavyweight. And, um, there was a point where he couldn't get anywhere higher than 185 and obviously lightweight is, uh, lightweight is a 205. So he would still fight at lightweight, but he wouldn't get past maybe 190. And he would have to like feed and force feed himself to, because he had hyperthyroidism because of the fact that he's been cutting weight for so many years. Not only, not only as a professional fighter, but as a wrestler too as well.
0: Incredible, incredible. So now you've got people that you've got working with you as well, the likes of George Lockhart and those that that, that have embraced right. it's a science. It's not a guessing game. It's right down to the to the last day and it, it makes it what do, we won't say it makes it easy because it's nobody wants to be hungry, but it, it certainly makes it a lot safer and a lot more comfortable at times.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it definitely is better when you have a professional there. Um George has definitely been a huge part of educating the fighters. Um, you know, Mike Gulch too as well. But these guys coming in that, that have that, that only do that is very good. You know what I'm saying? Cause now it takes pressure off of individuals like myself, right? One, one, I don't want to do it. I hate doing it because <laughs> I know how it is. Yeah. You know, I, I know how it feels, um, and I'm, I definitely don't want to be around it, you know, because of how bad it really is. Um, uh, but these guys have a strategic, scientific pr- approach to it. Um, they break it down mathematically so that they know exactly what they need to take in, when they need to take it in. Um, And, and the real, the real thing, you know, the real benefit of it is the refueling process, because no matter how much you cut, if you don't refuel properly, um, you're not going to be able to go out there and and perform well. So that's where like a lot of the math comes into play, where they're they're taking, you know how much glycogen they actually lost replaying that same thing with the liquids and the creatine and, and branching amino acids and everything else so all these things come into play whatever you lost we need to put that back in and we also need to double that because again it has to carry over into the fight in 24 hours
0: it's there's so many different levels and layers to to and, and it was only yesterday again when i started to listen to some of your stuff and some uh, in detail it's it's there's so many layers you could talk all the, the very last point, transitioning. I hear a lot of the time when I speak to fighters, particularly fellas that maybe come across the science and the scientific side of sport midway or late mm-hmm. in their career, they, they consider that as a transition into their, to their true pro ranks.
2: As far as transitioning from,
0: from being uh, a pro, pro athlete, bracing all that goes with being and all the modern sciences and technologies that go into being an elite athlete today from being a young yeah. amateur athlete? And then basically at the end of the career, you see a fellow who's up literally out and he has to gotta wind himself down and not a nice one for some either.
2: Yeah, it's, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, when they're ready to make that leap into the elite realm, you know, a lot of things become nuanced details. And, you know, with an amateur or like a beginner pro, you know, you can kind of get away with a lot of different things. You know, you can get away with less sleep. You can get away with not having a, like a a strategic on point diet. But when you get to them higher rankings, everything counts. Every little detail, every, every calorie, every training session, every minute upon that training session, every sleep, every you know hour of sleep costs, those things really come into play. And so with that, they have to be able to be, more strategic on their approaches to have an understanding of their entire schedule um, and having an organized plan of action because you can't really wing it at that point. You got to know exactly what you're doing, when you're doing it and how you're doing it. And um, because everything's going to compound over time when they make the transition out, um, we've had several and I'm sitting next to a young lady right now that has, has going through that transition from being an elite pro to now retiring and going and pivoting onto a new career. Um, it's it, I had to do it too. And I had to do it in a cut short, you know, but at the end of the day, this is not who, this is not what makes you right. I mean, yeah, you were a fighter, but there's other things that go along this life and what you need to do to be successful in it. And a lot of times it's, it's more so of, of, it's a, it's, you know, how you see yourself, right. How you can, dictate exactly what you feel is important in your life and what your purpose is. And then from there you can pivot and do the things that you've been called to do. And it may not be fighting anymore. It may be doing something totally different. Uh, but the goal is, is to take what you've learned as a professional, mm-hmm. take what you learn as a, as a, as a successful pro and put that into anything that you're doing or everything that you're doing afterwards. So whether that be being a parent, whether that be being a businessman, You know, um, teaching, coaching, whatever. Uh, That was, that was something that I was able to do. Um, take some things that I've learned as a pro, take some things that I've learned as a collegiate athlete and put them into play as a coach, as a teacher, as a father, as a husband, and as a business owner. And, um, it's been working out. So that's one thing is like everything that you do, remember, it's a learning process. And if you don't take, you don't open your eyes and take advantage of that particular event, um, you'll never learn from either your your past triumphs or your mistakes, and that's that's um uh, that's probably the saddest thing that you could ever do in life.
0: Which is the biggest challenge for you as a, as an elite high performance coach, being a coach to all those guys and those girls, or being a dad to a to a small kid who who pushes every button and everything there is to push at every minute of the day. They challenge you in yeah. ways that athletes couldn't even imagine, don't they?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, time time yeah. is our precious commodity you know this is this is something that i constantly struggle with on a day-to-day basis the good thing is that i have a team around me that allows me to do what i need to do and and i don't have to micromanage i can delegate appropriately that that also takes time for you to yeah to you to, to acquire that you know it, it took me a while you know for 10 years i didn't i didn't have that now i have the ability to do so but time is is definitely something that has been a big challenge. Scheduling and organizing my days uh to the T really is 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 I mean, like right now, given point that I have to uh pivot and do something different, it changes the entire path of the day, right? So because every moment in the day counts. At the same time, you wanna have a blueprint. And that's the same thing we do with, with scheduling for programming. Right? If I have fighters that have fights at certain times, I need to make sure that I'm scheduling that appropriately, scheduling it for the, for the trainings and all that other stuff. And If you don't have that, it's not going to work out too well.
0: And there exactly is the reason that we could sum it up, Coach, why the likes of the old school coaches, as we call them, when we picture the likes of Mickey from Rocky and those lads who turn up with the fag hanging out of the mouth and the, and, the, and the little apron jacket on, and then we have the modern day guy <laughs> like yourself who has every minute of every day planned to a tee. And, and never the twins shall meet, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to wish you well. Even though it's against one of our own islanders here, It's um, what we can say is when the gate closes on Saturday night, and the best man will win, as he has done on the last couple of occasions. So I look forward to seeing you in the front row. We'll probably see you jumping about and wish you all the best for, for the weekend. I hope, I genuinely hope you, the listener, enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed enjoy listening to it back a couple of times. Enjoyed speaking with Phil, and I'm... Um, can get something of some use from it, whether it be for your boxing career, for a, maybe a professional interest, or, or whatever it is going forward. Not sure if it comes across or not, but that guy has a presence, and it transfers through, spoy- speak. speak. Um, he knows his stuff, and when you watch him, he's, he's a big unit, he's an intimidating guy, but it's his knowledge, it's his ability to transfer that knowledge, and it's the level that he's operating at, I guess, if you're anyway serious about what you do, you're gonna be a little bit worried and you're gonna be you're gonna be inspired, and I can honestly say I've been inspired since. So, coach, thanks for your time. Genuinely appreciate it. I understand it demands the demands the we complain here about being busy, but when you listen to the end of that conversation, it's phenomenal. That's about it for me and demo then. Thank you for listening to this episode. All the links you need are below our link tree where you'll get the YouTube page, you'll get all the other social medias and emails and everything else. F- please feel free to share the episode pass it on not only will you be helping me when the podcast maybe somebody somewhere will get some sort of inspiration or, or give them a direction in their life and as I said this episode is coming out right now you're not going to have to wait too long Friday you will have the episode with the 11 time Irish national champion the European gold medalist and newly signed professional fighter Willow Hayden all that in the next episode so stay safe stay sane smile holds about that ends well